Welcome, travelers. I'm Lee Wanika. And I'm Josh. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. back again folks for another side quest uh <laughs> it's incredible the way this channel is kind of coming together it seems like we've decided to start doing this at the perfect time right as we get started tasha's cauldron of everything comes out so we're able to kind of jump in on a brand new thing right then and there we yeah, are and that's so much fun recording those episodes by the way that's been a tremendous amount of fun absolutely but while we were recording one of those episodes, or actually roughly an hour and a half before that, I actually got a chance to watch episode 14 of The Mandalorian Season 2, mm -hmm. and I could not go another week without discussing it with Josh, and we decided that we shouldn't keep uh, such a cool conversation to ourselves. We wanted to make sure we got this conversation out to everybody. I don't know anybody that's really watching this channel that doesn't think Mandalorian is pretty cool. So I watched this episode and I was just blown away. More to the point, and there are going to be a ton of spoiler alerts for this episode. Basically, if you have not watched the shows we're going to talk about, and we'll put all of them in the description, you may want to be careful about yeah. what you listen to within this uh, this side quest episode. We this want episode everybody is probably going to drop on Wednesday. So like Wednesday, middle of the week, like the first week of December here. So if you have not seen Mandalorian episode, was it 14 this week? 14, I believe. Yeah. yeah. If you have not seen Mandalorian episode 14, please pause right now, go watch it and then come back. Yep. Don't shut us off. Don't hit stop. <laughs> don't, don't hit stop. We're very clear. <laughs> hit pause. First of all, I want to say season two has blown away all of my expectations and considering how high they were set after season one. That's that's pretty amazing. I would add that every time I watch an episode in season two, I think I've never seen an episode of this show as good as that episode I just watched. And they have really not let me down as this season has gone on. Like some of the episodes have been so top notch. It's like I'm like having a hard time finding television in general. I enjoyed better than this. And this episode was packed into 32 minutes, I think is what I said. It was 32 minutes, yeah. 32 minutes. Like, oh, Josh and I don't even cut our show that good <laughs> or, or that well. Like, we put good stuff into an episode, but we haven't yet hit 32 minutes. <laughs> no, I mean, we just recorded our episode about Tasha's classes, and that's going to be a solid 45. <laughs> Kudos to Filoni and to uh, Favreau for their skill, their technique, and everybody on the team over at Disney who has anything to do with uh, The Mandalorian. I don't care if your job as a page was to get a cup of coffee for the key grip. You are amazing. You really did something for my hobby today and my fandom and for me that I enjoyed fully. It was that good. Everything about it really hit on all cylinders. First of all, Boba. 
Just going to leave that right there for a moment. Let that simmer. Let that percolate in your ears for a moment, folks. Boba Fett. And damn, was he good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did. I loved the minute, the, the moment in the show when, you know, he's sitting there, he's shooting the stormtroopers. And all of a sudden he's like, you know what? They're too damn close. and My gun's too damn big. And so get me my whack-em stick. You know? Yeah. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you've been watching the show, you saw the you saw Boba Fett uh, in the Tatooine episode. You saw that he had that Tuscan Raider staff, and this is the episode that Star Wars fans, from those very early moments of Star Wars, when we first saw Luke get taken out by a Tuscan Raider, I have not seen that weapon really used in a way that made it look fearsome. I had the action figure as probably the first Star Wars weapon I ever lost because who cared. I mean, other than showing that one Luke scene, who cared? It wasn't that good. Even in the in the preview episodes, it wasn't that good. Yeah, we we all thought that Boba Fett was was a rogue assassin, but clearly he has polearm master. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would say that Boba Fett is a character that was better in non-canon than he was on film. On film, he had a presence. Obviously, we know we love this character, but he didn't do anything. He made a couple lines, and he got chucked in a Sarlacc pit. He got one good shot. He actually successfully shot a Jedi. To be fair, not many people get to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But that's about it. This is the episode where we get to see why Boba Fett has the reputation he earned, and I got to see it, and he totally tore it up. I mean, he... It was brutal. So well filmed. I'm talking, yep. he was hitting folks with that stick so hard that pieces of the Stormtrooper helmet were breaking off. Oh, that, <laughs> that was that was cool, too, to go ahead and see um, every time he would, uh, they would shoot one of the Stormtroopers or hit one of the Stormtroopers or whatever, the ceramic breaking off of there. It really illustrated uh, very clearly why the Beskar is so superior to the Stormtrooper uh, uniforms. It's like, oh, well, it's just steel, like whatever. Like I've fought in steel before. Like steel's not that powerful, right? Um, no, but it's the difference in the way these weapons of this world treated the ceramic armor of the stormtroopers versus the Beskar of the Mandalorian. It yep. really kind of brought that to brought that to life. I also have loved uh, season two of the Mandalorian. I I think that it is getting a little tropey where every episode so far has been seek out this person. That person will tell you, I'm not the one that you need to talk to. You know, your, your princess is in another castle. You got to, you know, it, it's, and so far we're up to about level five in Mario Brothers, right? So where, they, where they've, they've pretty much done this every episode. Um, and so that is starting to get a little bit repetitive. Not that I don't like it, only that it's repetitive. And I will say that with this episode, with episode 14 in particular, I have one big observation that I think was... In in a show that is normally put together really, really slickly and really, really uh, cohesively and is directed and acted and orchestrated very, very well, there is one piece of this episode that stuck out for me at the minute that it happened. And as the episode went on, it's like, oh, that's why that happened. And it was when um, the Mandalorian and 
Boba have their standoff and they decide that they are not going to, that they're not going to draw weapons and shoot each other, right? And what is Boba Fett's ask? That he, that the Mandalorian takes off his jetpack. Not that he disarms, not that he puts his weapon on the ground, not that he takes off his helmet, nothing like that. It's that he takes off his jetpack. Now, at the time, I was like, well, that's odd. And I was like, well, sure, some of the like special Mandalorian things are in his jetpack. So, okay, fine, that makes sense. But as the episode wore on, it became clear to me that the only reason that Boba Fett asked the Mandalorian to take off his jetpack was because the showrunners wanted the bad guys to get away. Because if the Mandalorian had kept his jetpack, he would have gone after the dark troopers and probably shot them out of the sky, rescued the baby spectacularly, and, and it would have been great. It would have been fine. But instead, he didn't have his jetpack, and so he couldn't pursue. I agree with you. I noticed that. Like I thought it was odd. Uh, as I remember it, I thought he asked him to disarm. We put down our weapons. And he said, start with your jetpack. I think that's how I heard it. I don't know if that's mm, the case or not. That's possible. Um, but I got the impression that they were going to do more because he had put it down and then shit stuff started happening, right? <laughs> so it, they weren't that's done with that interchange. They actually stopped that interchange mm. to go handle the issue. He just didn't make the choice to pick up the packback. I, I, I would have it, to go back and watch it because I'm pretty sure he asks him to take off his jetpack. I think he did ask. I just yeah. thought there was a little bit more to the act. Got it. Oh, yeah. I, okay. I right. see what you're saying. Yeah. But that, that's that's entirely possible. I'd have to. Neither here nor there. The part that I didn't get is why he didn't pick it back up when he went. Look, I've been watching 20, 18, 20 years of NCIS, and dang near every episode, he's like, grab your gear. And they reach and grab their bag. It was a, actually a key point in season one and season two where characters had to remember to get their bag. There's yeah. been episodes that started with or had a focal point, you didn't grab your bag, you didn't grab your gear. Yeah. So it actually gets I, it, worse. I did a bit, a bit immersion breaking that yeah. perhaps going on, I gotta figure out it was that he would walk more than five feet away from his gear. Yep. But, it would it, it gets worse than that. They have already established because there was a big question about how there was a big article. It came out at the beginning of a uh, uh, season two. It might have even come out beforehand, but it was how does the Mandalorian's jetpack work? Because there was speculation because they'd never actually shown it. And then in season two, they made a point to go ahead and show that it's controlled by the control unit on his left wrist. He didn't have to pick it up at any single point. He could have just looked at his wrist, pushed the button, because we've seen this happen in, in season two. The jetpack will fly back to him. Yep. It is independently controlled. In I think it was in the episode, it was the episode on Tatooine when, or maybe the episode before. Oh, no, it was the episode on Tatooine with the with with the with the Tuscan Raiders. The backpack, the jetpack, flew back to him. It he didn't need to put it on. And we may never know if this ended up on the cutting room floor. I actually fully expected because you made that point. Thank you for that. That I actually expected him to hit the button and have it come to him, and then the bad guys shoot it down. Because yeah. once they showed these guys coming towards him, like oh, they're gonna fly away with the kid. I kind of saw that coming. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I get it, but he's got the backpack, or Bobo's got his backpack, so maybe Bobo's going to save the kid. I didn't know how that was going to go exactly, but yeah. I figured he'd hit the button, get the backpack, and have a near miss in some fashion. Yep. But uh, no, they just. They, I they would have actually preferred to have seen it coming towards him and have it shot down by the cruiser. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Have, have that, been, like, then I'd have been like, okay, he made he he made the right calls. Yep, like like when they destroyed the Razor Crest. Absolutely, the from from a from a game master point of view, shooting the Razor Crest was the right answer. Like let's let's yeah. and there's a lot of people saying, oh no, that's you know we just we we've that's just fan service because they wanted to see Boba's ship as the one you know doing the flying and everything. They didn't want to see the Razor Crest anymore. But let's just fan service. Like, no, I actually disagree. Like if you are being chased by the Mandalorian, by, if you're being chased by a Mandalorian who has, who is one of, as we have proven in canon, one of the extreme Mandalorians, not even one of the like average everyday, like just going to wreck you Mandalorians, but one of yeah. the extreme Mandalorians. He, he, yeah, he, and he's got a quest that was given to him by his forge. Yeah. You shoot his ship. You, yeah. You, you shoot his ship a lot. You shoot his ship from orbit, and then Often, you GTFO. Yep. Yeah, because narratively speaking, the Star Wars universe is not a D&D realm. It is not like other realms, right? Right. So if you hit one hit hyperspace, nobody tracks you. Yeah. They don't know where you're going. Unless you pass something where somebody has intel on where you might be going, you're gone. Yeah. They cannot find you, right? Until you happen by a known place. Because of that, all you have to do is stop somebody from getting off a planet. You take any planet, even if there's habitation, that could be half a planet away. Now they're hoofing it on foot. You've taken away their resources. You've taken away their abilities. You've given yourself months. Maybe, let's say it takes them a month to get to a habitable place. (laughs) You've now given yourself a month to get on the road with a kid who's three feet. The ability to track, that's what you do to make yourself hard to track. It was actually for a, an error that you and I see or what we see. Don't know if there's more to come with this later on, but for what we see as an error in the in, in, in the way that the, the episode played out, everything that Moff Gideon did was on point. He yep. is exactly what I expect. Soften him up with a bunch of stormtroopers. Exactly what they're there to do. They weren't there to win. They're cannon fodder. Yeah. They were not there to get the kid. Gideon obviously knew they were not going to be successful. They were just getting the kid. That's why there are two ships of them. Yeah. They were there to distract long enough so that the real guys could come in. And clearly, as shown in the later episode parts of the episode, Gideon knows enough. Let the kid expend himself, and then he can deal with it. Yep. So uh, I think on so many levels, so well done. Such a great episode. Your nitpicky point, well taken. I, I can't argue it. I have to say, I saw it in an episode. It didn't trip me up as nearly as much as it does in post. But, yep. Um, but as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, what oh, is there? That's a weird thing to ask, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but such a great episode, which yep. actually brings me to one thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of close this side quest. We really talked about The Mandalorian, how well it works. I love all kinds of elements of the show. Like it's multiple genres. It is truly a Western, but the way it moves from Western to Kurosawa to all these different types of Kurosawa is so strong. Right. But yeah, just the way it moves from um, genre to genre within, within a space, you know, the jailbreak episode from season one, which clearly we're getting back to because 
now Mando's looking for the guy uh, that, that he that he had locked up. But there's so many great aspects of this that I think are, are so well done and it navigates. Yeah. This really helps me, uh, inspires me and in what I do as a, as a dungeon master on the game. Yeah. I love the fact that we have a campaign that is one general thing, basically the Western, right? This is a quest. It's a quest Western, right? Not unlike any number of John Wayne films that have ever been written or any number of spaghetti Westerns that have ever been written some better than others, right? It is not that different from those. Japanese Quest, Long Wolf and Cub, when I first saw the first episode, I immediately went back to that comic book and that original story. Um, for those who know that story, you know where I'm coming from. This is definitely a Long Wolf and Cub setup. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily an execution, but it, it is that setup. It is that type of story. Uh, and I think that's awesome. I think sending up the, your uh, these great classic stories, these tropes, if you will, uh, is a wonderful thing, as long as you can do what this show has done, which is do them in new, different, and exciting ways. Um, and it, so it inspires me to do the same with my games. I like the fact that I can have a game that's one general type of campaign, but I can have a dungeon crawl episode. I can have a monster of the week episode every now and then. Yep. I can have a, the bad guys coming to get me kind of episode. I can do these different things. And this is the kind of show that gives me license to have different types of episodes. Yep. Anthology style within the concept of the campaign. Yeah. Not, not every session needs to be the same. I've, you know, uh, the flip, even on a more structural level, the flip back and forth from a very freeform, organic, uh, collaborative world building type aspect to a more linear plot line, even just switching those dynamics becomes very effective because, um, so in my game, we're in session two, we're heading into session three, we're in the middle of a linear plot line right now. The first game was very much collaborative world building when we're done with this linear plot line the that linear stuff will end and we'll go back to collaborative and i feel like that kind of switch between feels is going to be really really important it may become one of the kind of the the dominant characteristics of the game as it goes forward absolutely that's kind of what i do i kind of have after downtime it's kind of like these are all the things that are happening in the world where do you want to go what do you want to do? And then once a group makes a decision, now things become much more linear once they've made a decision and go to a location. Yep, absolutely. Um, something that can be learned from that. Like once well, you're otherwise in, there, otherwise you're there are in. a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Yep. And it allows you to take a sandbox style campaign world and yet still have very linear adventures and encounters within that that sandbox, which I think is really the key to having something that's enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and get all the updates that happen beyond the podcast. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys or send us an email at ttjourneys at gmail.com. Lastly, if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts, we'd love you to leave a review, like, and subscribe. All the feedback we receive goes to making the show better, and we want to hear what you would like us to cover going forward. Thank you again for listening, and in the words of a fellow traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.